What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. Hey, guys, welcome back to Discussions in the Lab. Here's this is part three of our little series. Um, today, we're going to be talking about um, some agility training and what people commonly or how people commonly use it. Uh, what we think of those methods, and then um, kind of an all-encompassing view of agility and some maybe better ways to train. So kind of to start off, we can talk about uh, what we what we very often see as agility training. Um, and probably the most common thing that we see is uh, kind of scripted um, cone agility drills where there's a set pattern, uh, maybe out on, on a field or a turf or something like that, where the athlete knows what they're going to do before they do it. Um, so this actually gives uh, an amount of time during the drill for the athlete to um, kind of plan what they're going to do with the timing of the, of the redirection, with the foot placement, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's very scripted. And oftentimes when, we're, when people are talking about agility training, uh, they're very um, pigeonholed into lateral movement. So we will talk a little bit about what, what else encompasses agility. But those are, those are the main things we see when we're talking about or we're, when we're looking at other people who are, who are trying to accomplish agility training. Yeah, so when, as Greg touched on, I think a lot of people make the mistake in their training uh, of being very, very laterally focused, in particular 90 degrees for some reason in terms of their lateral emphasis, and also being really scripted. And if we look at what uh, agility actually is in the sporting arena, it's much more than just changing direction. There's a lot more to it. Uh, I like to think of it as reading, planning, and then doing. So we need to be able to uh, read the environment, the where the ball is located, where other players are located, uh, read the, the visual stimulus, whether that is uh, how fast the ball is coming or auditory or whatever. We need to plan our movement strategy and select the correct one, and then we need to do. when. We just do these really scripted movements. A lot of times what we're just focusing on is the movement pattern. And that's certainly uh, a benefit. We want to have athletes who are efficient in their movements, but we also want to have athletes that can uh, read, plan, and do. And the training that we are going to provide them will carry over and have a high transfer to what they are actually able to uh, achieve on the, the field quarter pitch. So... When we think of agility, uh, we like to think of it as three or even maybe four dimensions, right? We want to see guys be able to not only just move laterally at uh, 90 degrees, but can you move laterally at 135? Can you move lateral at 45 degrees? Can you move lateral with a side shuffle? Can you move lateral with a side hop? Can you jump up and down? Can you jump up and then backpedal, jump up and move forward? Uh, can you turn around and run backwards for a couple steps? Can you weave? Can you backwards weave? So agility really is this uh, multifactorial movement umbrella. It's something that can't be pigeonholed into just uh, setting some cones out and moving side to side in this very scripted fashion. Um, and then the other thing is that we want to start to introduce some form of that reading and planning. And Matt's going to talk about that a little bit, but basically how can we introduce uh, or how can we ramp up from these very scripted type of drills and exercises to something that will have a greater transfer of training by introducing 
visual, auditory stimulus, maybe uh, reacting to a partner or reacting to different light patterns. Uh, these are the kinds of things uh, that we want our athletes to scale up to if we're going to expect for the training that we're doing on the physical side to actually transfer to what occurs in matches and games. Yes, yeah, so the way we'll start off that progression is with exactly that, scripted drills. So we can use that as a great teaching opportunity. When the athlete has time to think about what's going on, it takes out the cognitive decision-making process from the equation here. So it's much easier to focus on purely the movement skill of whatever we're trying to focus on in that session. It's a great way for us to be able to coach in cue, to be able to learn that technique, and then move on from there. So if you imagine um, kind of like a Y shape, you've got a starting cone here, you run out an amount of yards, and then there are almost two cones out at an angle from there. That could be a common setup, and we're going to talk about with the athlete how we want to make that cut, which way you want to go. That would be a very simple intro-level way to start this. To make it more complicated and to start to progress to some of the decision-making, we could have them react from there. So as they're running out, they know that they're going to cut to one of the two cones. They know exactly how they're going to do it, but they don't know which one it is. And then as they run out, they'll either react, react to an auditory cue. So we might say, right, they cut that direction. It can be visual. You point that direction, and then that's where they go. So the decision-making is starting to come into play there, but the actual movement is still quite scripted. From there, we can then move that drill to maybe more difficult um, movement strategies, as Mike was talking about. So that cut there when you're out in that Y is a fairly gradual one. You can move that one back. You can make the cut go backwards. You could have the jumping move into play. You can move into different strategies there and make that more complicated. On from that point is actually when we go into the point where it's going to be uh, reaction and non-scripted. So one of the setups we would have here would be with the fusion sport gates, where you're going to have multiple gates out there, one lights up, you run to that one. Once you break that gate, another one comes up and you move your way over there. You could do this very simply with four different color cones and you shout out the color that they're going to go to next. You don't need necessarily a fancy system to move to that. Another option that Mike mentioned would be actually having a partner there. So as they are running, you are reacting to what they are doing and trying to stay with them, almost as you're guarding that opponent. So these progressions can get more specific towards the actual skill they're going to see in the game. But the big thing is they're adding pieces to that equation of how we've defined agility each time. We're starting off with purely the movement strategy, purely the physical component there, and slowly adding in complexity of reaction to the point when it's completely unscripted. They don't know what's going to happen in the drill, but they have those movement strategies dialed in and worked on throughout the progression, so they're going to be able to make those, um, those moves on the field or within the drill without having to then think about the physical component. They can purely react to the stimulus at hand that they're seeing in the drill or ultimately in the game. They shouldn't have to, at that late stage of it, think, okay, this is how I plant my foot. This is how I'm going to then turn my body. We've already established that early on in the progression, and later on, that's something that should be automatic. Uh, just kind of bring up one more little point going off of each of those about uh, intensity of the, the drills that we're doing. So when we start out with the scripted kind of uh, pattern drills, we can actually have a decent decently high level intensity to those drills because we can plan out how fast we're going to move into the, the redirections, uh, how, how sharp of an angle we're going to, we're going to make a redirection. Um, now, we're, here we're mainly talking about the physical capacity of changing direction, but we can actually make those relatively intense. Now, as we move along to the more uh, complex cognitive skills, uh, we have to think about intensity in a little bit different way uh, where 
um, the, the steps that we take, the, the foot placement, the speeds that we have during uh, going into a, a redirection of some sort, uh, a decision, uh, making a decision are non-scripted. They might actually end up with imperfect foot placement or timing where you might find yourself out of position to make a, an efficient movement. So intensity is going to be kind of quantified in a different way there and also at a much higher level at the um, in decision making and the cognitive ability. So you just kind of have to keep in mind about how, how you're quantifying the, the load that you're actually placing on the athlete as you move forward through complexity. Yeah, I think what you touched on there about foot placement may not be ideal or the position may not be ideal in a decision-making environment is part of the reason that we start off scripted so that way we can get those as perfect as we can, but also the limitation of having it always scripted. If you're always doing that perfect, you're not necessarily seeing the kind of scenarios you're really going to be in in a game. Things are going to happen unexpected. You'll be out of position, and it's good to get introduced to those positions and having to then figure out how you get back on track before you actually get into the sport. So if it's always scripted and we always do every single rep perfect because we know exactly what's going to happen we're actually robbing ourselves of an opportunity to get um, a very specific scenario that we might run into in a game yeah i think one kind of closing thought maybe on this is that we're trying to move people to more and more uh disruption and chaos within their training so it needs to be less predictable more chaotic uh, more decision making more variability in in everything uh, that said, we want to still have the expectation of technical execution and correct decision-making of movement strategy. So if that requires someone to uh, cut on their left and instead they cut on the, the movement pattern would have efficiently asked them to cut on their left, but they choose to cut on their right, well, that's they might have made a great uh, cut on their right, but they made the mo- wrong movement selection. So it's still an opportunity to coach, even when the variability gets really high and the chaos is quite high. We still want them to be able to make these decisions, maybe even subconsciously, and we still coach for movement efficiency. We still coach for movement strategy while introducing these higher levels of variability and thought processing. Uh, you guys have anything else? Good for me. I'm all set. So thanks for tuning in for our three-part series on some, uh, I guess, facts and fallacies of, of training here. and uh, uh, look forward to more discussions in the lab alright guys that's it thanks for listening if you like this you can rate us you can share this with your friends and if you have a question go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor anywhere you can find us drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can